This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We were sad to learn this past week that at least 10 taxi and limo drivers who worked at Pearson Airport have died during the COVID-19 outbreak. There's no way of proving that the drivers contracted the virus from international travelers, but it certainly looks that way. Rajinder Aujla is president of the Airport Taxi Association and says the drivers were not offered proper protection during the early days of the pandemic's arrival in Canada. He joined Libby's Nimer on Wednesday, as did City Councillor Jim Karagiannis, a member of Toronto's licensing committee. We are not protecting the folks that are working on the ground transportation industry, especially taxi drivers, uh, PTC, uh, Uber, Lyft, uh, limo drivers. Uh, they have no protection. Somebody gets in, they're sick, they you know, cough in the, in, in the vehicle, or if even the driver is sick, that the passenger gets in. I mean, we have to protect them both. Do you think that more should have been done to protect them right from the beginning? Or was it a case that we really just didn't know enough right when it struck? And obviously it came in from people who were traveling. We've been talking to a lot of people and a lot of businesses, and we're coming up with ways to protect them. You see the federal government giving this, that, or the other thing. However, these people that are actually in the front lines, um, taking people around, uh, we haven't done enough. There's been, there was some conversation about putting a shield, uh, like a protective shield. And there's, you know, even talking to the industry, both to Beck, to co-op and others, there's something that can be easily installed for a hundred bucks, but we need to amend the, the bylaw. Uh, also, these guys were also, a lot of their cars are being parked. They're, the city's still continuing to charge them license increase. We're, you know, we're, we're telling everybody, don't worry about it. You know, the homes we're going to get you to pay later, uh, businesses and all that stuff. But we haven't done anything for this. And uh, to my surprise, I've, I've written a letter to, um, you know, to both uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, John Tory, copy the industry, but nothing has come out of it. And, uh, you know, we're not sitting as a committee, which I think we should get in there and, and talk not only them, but others that are affected with our licensing fees. I would like to bring in Rajinder Singh Aujla. He is the president of the Airport Taxi Association. What's your reaction to this? Was was there just not enough done to protect your drivers? It's not done. I am in the compound after one and a half month. And there is CPTV and the CTTV. They are here. Yep. And uh, I am talking to my fellow drivers. And uh, still, there is not that much protection. Uh, what kind of protection? Because new guidelines were released in April. Were those not enough? Those are not enough because of the dealing that uh, we don't know who is coming from inside, how they are tested. And uh, when they are coming, we are not aware of that one. Oh, you mean the in terms of the customers? Customers, because uh, it is uh, everyone is getting infected from the customer who are coming. 
Uh-huh. Do you have do you have proof of that or you're just uh, assuming that? We are assuming that we one of our brokers they received a call from uh, the health department. Yep. That who serve this customer and they please uh, put him self isolation as soon as possible and then the health department they contacted those people to who serve those passengers. Do you also have drivers uh, who became ill and who have recovered, perhaps? There are at, at least a um, dozen of drivers who have been recovered by sitting at home. One who went in the hospital, the, the recovery chances are very, very low. Only one person came out from the hospital so far, and two of uh, the drivers, they passed away in this week, and... Uh, Three of our drivers, they are still on ventilator. On ventilators. I'm sorry to hear that. And, of course, we wish them all the best. Yeah, this is, in my knowledge, there might be more from limo side. But uh, this is uh, from the taxi side and uh, belongs to our community, Punjabi community. Jim Karagiannis, I remember that at the beginning there was some confusion because uh, people were told for a little while to take taxis to go to a testing center. Do, do you believe that was a factor as well? Listen, there's a lot of things that are factors. I mean, you're in close quarters. You cannot self-distance in a vehicle of six feet. If a passenger is sick and he gets out, then the whole car has to be disinfected. So we need to come up with answers. We need to help this industry, not only from the city, or, or but the province and federal, because we're, we're having passengers that are in vehicles, and um, the drivers are, can be get affected, and the passenger can get infected, uh, vice versa. I, I think we need to step up, and I think we need to step up now. I mean, the industry is dead. Um, and uh, we need to help them and we need to reassure the public that when you get a tax cab, they're safe. Toronto City Councilor Jim Karagiannis and Rajinder Aujla, president of the Airport Taxi Association. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Is the lockdown getting to you? A campaign research poll out this past week finds that most Canadians support the measures our governments have taken and believe they've been effective, though many Canadians are feeling more depressed as a result. And for how long would Canadians accept the ongoing lockdown? 90% say they would support or at least grudgingly support a continued lockdown to the end of May. Nick Kuvalis is principal of Campaign Research. He joined Libby Snymer on Wednesday to discuss the results. The public is generally quite um, happy with the way the government leaders uh, have handled this so far. 83% believe that the measures put in over the last seven weeks were effective. 60% think that the measure should continue for at least one more month, while 22% uh, think that the measure should be relaxed now. But uh, we ask a bunch of questions about schools open and schools closed and everyone back to work or a staged back to work. And at the end, um, CV, uh, question CV29, um, we ask, okay, if we kept the schools closed and we made an effort to put as many people as we could back to work and everybody agreed that they still had to do as much social distancing as possible 
and really try to avoid people who don't live in their home as much as possible when they're out at work. You know, how would you feel? And about two-thirds of the population says that's where they want to get to, that's where they want to go. And I think that's what we're seeing with our government. It's moving that way, like uh, in Ontario with Premier Ford, he's moving that way. He's cautiously allowing certain things to open up, getting more people back to work. He's keeping the schools closed for the moment. And there's a lot of support for him and for that approach. And just to answer the uh, question about eating more, we did measure eating more. It oh, scored sorry. very high. We scored very high. It scored very high, the highest, really, one of the highest things. And um, it just wasn't reported in the star. But you can see our entire entire survey, all the questions and the order we asked them, exactly how we asked them, and all the results on our website. But I believe it was 50% said they were eating a little more or a lot more than they were before they were isolating at home, while only a few, like a much less number, is exercising more uh, than than eating than the eating more. But more people are exercising than they were seven weeks ago as well. What about the drinking more and smoking more cannabis and I guess more cigarettes as well? There's an equal amount of people saying that they're smoking more and smoking less. So I think that kind of washes out. Uh, on the cannabis, I think there's still some shyness, at least you know, 60% are saying there's been no change. So perhaps for most people that were consuming cannabis, they haven't changed how the amount. Um, it doesn't look like there's been any spike there. But on the drinking, uh, that's up. Uh, there's more people saying that they're drinking a little or a lot more compared to people who say they're drinking a little less or a lot less. Um, than prior to uh, being isolated at home. We keep hearing or people keep talking about mental health. Your survey shows people are, are more, a little, either a little or a lot more depressed, drinking more. In your view, is that, does that signal that we're going to have a problem when this is lifted or will people, you think, go back to normal? Uh, you know what? That's a, I can't answer the question. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm someone who openly says I'm an alcoholic and, you know, I've done all the, the rehab and I continue to work on that problem. Um, I can't tell you what tomorrow holds for them. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I think once Mr. Ford in Ontario and across the country, I think things that they can do uh, is uh, open the parks and really, like, really push hard verbally for people to be responsible about social distancing and really take that personal responsibility and then only enforce the people that are blatantly violating those rules because they don't know, give them a chance to correct. And But I think if people can get out more, people can do some gardening more, that can only help. For me, I know that personally is going to help a lot. And, um, and so I can't speak to the future, but uh, Premier was speaking to it, I think, two days ago or yesterday. I heard him on the news about it. So, so it's on the mind. It's on government's mind. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? No, no. Listen, I just uh, I think you're doing a great job, and, and people in your trade and the, and the businesses that you're in doing. You know, you have a lot of content. You have a lot of listeners. Um, people have a lot more time, and so you guys are all doing a great job, keeping us, giving us options to things to talk about and think about uh, throughout our day. 
Nick Kuvalis, principal of Campaign Research, in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Ontario's economy has been reopening in recent days. Garden centers and nurseries this past Friday, hardware stores yesterday, and tomorrow, Monday, all stores with a street entrance may open for curbside pickup. This is a start. But is it enough to keep small businesses going after two months of being shut down during the COVID-19 crisis? On Thursday, Libby Snymer was joined by Ryan Mallow, Director of Provincial Affairs Ontario at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So this is a a very positive step in the right direction. We're very pleased that uh, garden centres will be allowed to be fully open. Curbside pickup was a, a bit of a challenge for them when customers are used to being able to walk through and see the plants that they're buying. So that's a positive. And of course, the same for hardware stores getting back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, And it's very encouraging to see that uh, Ontario uh, Minister Fideli and Premier Ford listened to small retailers and have opened up curbside pickup. That was one of the uh, constant issues that we were hearing across the province. There was a lot of uh, frustration about not being able to do that in Ontario, where most other provinces were allowing it. Um, And this will not only open up a, a revenue opportunity that was previously not available to them, but also creates a lot of certainty in the compliance side of things. I know there's a number of businesses out there who are pretty confused about whether or not they can offer curbside. They now know for certain as of uh, Monday, May 11th, as long as they have a street level entrance, they absolutely can offer it. What kind of businesses will this benefit? Because to my way of thinking, curbside pickup is all well and good, but you have to have some kind of online, uh, a decent online presence so people know what they're buying or, or am I missing something? So an online presence will be on online presence will be important. Um, there's also the option to do telephone orders, and we do we do recommend that everybody who's listening, if you've got a a favorite local store and you're not sure if they're open or not, give them a call. I'm sure they'll be thrilled to hear from you, and they can tell you about hours and procedures and what they've got going on. Um, but but marketing it is going to be a challenge. I mean, you're not going to have that sort of normal street traffic that you're used to. It is sort of going to be a for lack of a better term, sort of appointment only. Uh, style of shopping. And there are, of course, a number of questions, too, around uh, not being able to try things on, how any return policies might work, which I know is a a big question mark right now, as well as what to do about any lineups that may form. Because, of course, especially in Toronto, a lot of businesses are very close together. And if you have too many people running down the line, you could could impact the whole street. So there are are still some kinks to work out in the system. Um, But that being said, I think, you know, your your bookstores, your uh, your shoe stores, your jewelers, sort of your your local Main Street retailers are the ones that uh, stand to benefit most because again, this was this was a revenue channel that previously wasn't open to them. You say that a third of your members have experienced a ninety to one hundred percent drop in revenue, uh, and the question is: is whatever they can pick up with with curbside? Aside from the few stores that can open fully, is that going to be enough to help them stay in business? I think it's a start, but I, I think that we'd be we'd be nuts to say that that that's enough, and we can sort of stop here or hold here for a, a prolonged period of time. I mean, realistically, for for a business to uh, be viable, they need to be fully operational, um, and we, we're just not at that right now. Um, and that's not to say that uh, we think the premier should rush it. You know, it, this is an important health issue. The last thing we want to see is another spike that brings that full essential uh, businesses list back. That would be devastating for business owners. 
So we want to make sure that it's done uh, cautiously, but also that it's done quickly. And as we gear up towards it, and even as we do start to see, you know, full reopenings in multiple sectors, it's also why we need to make sure that existing government programs uh, are continued or are extended to make sure that businesses have the support they need. And as we see new issues pop up, be it lack of consumer confidence or uh, uh, supply chain issues, that additional government measures are taken. I think that when it comes to uh, government supports and programs, we're maybe at the end of the beginning of COVID, and there's still uh, a long road to go on on those programs and, and what business owners are going to need to make sure they're able to survive and get the economy uh, back up to where it was before this started. I mean, are, are you projecting that there will still be a large number of businesses that won't make it through this? I think so. And it's, it's really difficult for us to tell right now because, of course, nothing is fully open. The lights being out when you walk down the street is not uncommon uh, at this point. But I mean, my one of my biggest fears is if you were to flip the switch tomorrow and say everything is back open, that when I walk down my main street, you know, a whole lot of the businesses that I'm used to being there won't be any be there anymore because they sort of quietly went bankrupt. So it, it is a big concern. And again, it reinforces why we need to make sure that uh, we're careful about reopening the economy, but also determined to do it, to get it back to its full potential. And that as we wait to get there, that we have the government programs in place to make sure that these businesses are, are able to, to make it to full recovery. Ryan Mallow, Director of Provincial Affairs, Ontario, at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. To your health now. And eye care. Like all other types of doctors, optometrists have turned to virtual care for their patients during the pandemic. The question now is, will this become more of a permanent fixture in a post-COVID-19 world? And then there's the question of what kind of process and measures optometrists will have to undertake to safely reopen their practices as more restrictions are eased in the weeks and months ahead. Dr. Joshua C. Smith is the president of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. He joined Libby on Thursday. We've been given some information. I think uh, it's all really public information about what the, the benchmarks they're looking to see before we can start uh, seeing our patients again in person. Um, and uh, we're hoping it'll be in the next few weeks. This may be the end of the beginning. And we're hoping that as that, as that uh, comes to pass, we'll be able to, to see our patients, although obviously in a much more, uh, a much different way than we did before. What have you learned about how it's going to be when you do reopen? We're going to be uh, very restricted in the number of patients we can see per day just through the extra protocols we're going to be putting in place across the board for both patient safety, but also the safety of, uh, of doctors and our staff. We need to ensure that we're not contributing to another wave of COVID just by opening our, our practices again. So you're going to see more uh, disinfection protocols in place, more safety protocols, masks, other forms of uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, um, and that's not only going to be for doctors and the staff that patients are used to seeing, but actually for our patients as well. So you're going to ask patients to wear it? There's, there's certain to be certain things that for their own protection, but also for the protection of everyone else that, uh, that uh, in, enter the office that they'll be asked to wear. Um, we don't have a very clear picture of what that will be yet. We are waiting for more definitive information from the Ontario government. But you can look at other provinces like Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Manitoba, uh, where optometrists are seeing patients again. 
uh, and uh, they're doing so under very different circumstances. Patients are, are asked to wear and are wearing uh, masks, for example, whenever they're in the uh, in the office. So and just we have to, to get very close to our patients, of course. So these uh, pr- these protective equipment uh, protocols are really important. What type of virtual care? I know that now you've been doing virtual care and in rare cases where you really have to see somebody you described the last time we talked, this is a very pretty, uh, pretty complex uh, procedure for it. But what things work well virtually in eye care? We've learned a lot uh, to answer that question over the last seven or eight weeks. And any, uh, any of your listeners who, uh, who have had a virtual exam, even with their optometrist or maybe their family doctor, will know that uh, it's certainly a different experience. But, you know, what we've learned uh, is that urgent care is often um, accessible remotely, uh, depending on what the urgent issue is. So with something like an eye infection, uh, certain types of eye infections, and other, other new symptoms of vision change, they can be assessed um, through that conversation and through some simple remote tests that we can do with our patients. And I expect that to continue going forward. Um, we've our, our association uh, worked really hard, and we we certainly spent a lot of time uh, working with our members about how to conduct these tests and uh, making it as seamless as possible, so that their patients felt comfortable calling them and. Uh, getting access to care even when in-person care was so difficult. I'm, I'm fascinated. So how would I get an eye exam virtually? It's, it's, so it's going to really depend. You know, the usual eye exam that you're used to where we're looking inside the eye, where we're able to measure the prescription, that sort of thing is, is still very difficult to do remotely and, and certainly not in any kind of accurate way. Um, you know, we face the same limits of technology that you see these online kind of eye tests that happen in the U.S., and there, there's a reason why they're, they're not very uh, accurate and there's not very much uptake is the technology certainly isn't there yet. So, you know, there's certain things that we would do, like uh, being able to check visual acuity or color vision, so how, how the smallest print you can read, uh, your, your ability to see color. Those sorts of things can be done remotely uh, by sending tools or even just simple documents uh, through the, the virtual platforms to our patients. And it it's actually incredibly simple uh, when when those tests are implemented. Uh, it's just as simple as, as making the call through your computer or your phone is to your doctor. What would you like to leave us with and what's your message to patients? Your optometrist will be there for you if you have eye problems and people should not hesitate to contact their doctors, especially after we are allowed to reopen. But COVID's going to make it difficult for us to see people both quickly and safely. And of course, as I said, you know, the lack of government support for eye care might mean that some practices can't reopen at all. And if they, those that do are going to do so with limited staff and limited availability for, for visits. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't call your doctor. Don't hesitate to contact your doctor's office once we're allowed to open again to ask about your case, discuss your case. And if you had an appointment that was cancelled or expecting one soon, especially that's the that's the right time to start uh, talking to your doctor and find out what the best thing is for you. Dr. Joshua C. Smith, president of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Christine and Mississauga phone to talk about retail curbside pickup. I think it's uh, um, very good that they're opening up the uh, small stores that have outdoor access. Um, it'll be great for all the people that live in that type of community, mostly in the city. I live in Mississauga Street, so 
Uh, we have very few little stores like shoe stores, jewelry stores, etc. Um, and we mostly go to the big malls. So I'm I'm pretty concerned that it's going to be a very long time before the big malls open. And how will they ever do that? Marissa in Etobicoke phone to express how appalled she is over all of the COVID-19 related nursing home deaths. It's criminal what has ha- taken place in these long-term facilities. They're understaffed, underfunded, that uh, it needs to be there needs to be a major major overhaul. The PSW workers, anyone that lives that works in a long-term facilities, it's a calling. The vacancy rate is unbelievable. To imagine to work to two or three facilities to equal one paycheck. Debbie called from Pickering to say she's been concerned about a policy in Ottawa to limit family members from looking in windows of long-term care homes to see their sick relatives. I actually emailed the mayor of Ottawa, Mr. Watson, on Friday night to find out exactly what was going on. And he emailed me back Saturday morning and explained that actually people were going up to the windows and actually physically removing the screens from the windows and reaching through and hugging their loved ones. So you're okay with what they with what they did? Oh, absolutely. My uh, dad was in a long-term care home in Perth, Ontario, and I actually received an email from them on Friday evening stating the new procedures in place because people were just showing up on the grounds and going to the common outdoor area where PSWs were bringing out residents for fresh air. And they were not physically distancing themselves from the staff or the residents. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Mary in Burlington, who phoned to call out opposition MPs for politicizing COVID-19. I'm terribly, terribly disappointed at the way this pandemic has become a political football. Shame on the Conservative Party and its leadership contenders to be leading them. It's not only the people who are ill and dying. What about the grieving relatives? Shame on the leadership contenders for the Conservative Party. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. That's 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.